Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about experimenting for fun and profit. <laughs> Rochelle and I just got off a super fun and fabulous interview with Pia Silva on her show, The No BS Agency Podcast. She's the bomb you want to listen to her. <laughs> totally. Super fun, great content, completely aligns with things we talk about here. Uh, real, real cool. Definitely check it out. There were so many great topics that came up that we could have had like full episodes. <laughs> we could have talked for three <laughs> hours probably. But uh, there was one in particular that popped up uh, that we wanted to jump on the mic and record for you here about experimenting. And uh, the focus of the episode that, that we did with Pia was about productized services. She's She's got a really successful productized service or two that she has had great success with and teaches other people how to do it. And one of the things that she mentioned was that at a certain point, she was like, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't raise my price beyond this point. And I think Rochelle and I both had a similar reaction to it that was like, well, how do you know that? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So you should check out the full episode. Um, I'm not sure when it'll be live, but check out, subscribe to her podcast to, to hear the whole conversation. Um, but she continued to say that I, I didn't know if I could raise the price without attracting a kind of client that I didn't want to work with. And it was like, mm, well, I, I can see, I think she has a point there potentially, because as you raise uh, your prices, you're going to attract different kinds of clients because people who can't afford it will stop buying it. And people who can afford it will start taking it seriously. Well, wait, wait, I just want to throw something in there though, because I think we, we make an assumption that um, the higher price points we have, the better clients we're going to get. And I think that's true a lot of the time. But in the case that Pia mentioned, it was a transition from clients of a certain size to clients of a bigger size that changed the complexity of the assignment to something she didn't want to do. Exactly. Right. So it is virtually assured that as you raise your price, you're going to get clients who have bigger budgets, but that does not mean that the kind of clients you want to work with. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> yeah. the point. I Thank you for clarifying that. Okay. So, so that got us talking about experimenting and like, how do you know? Because I think it is fascinating how, the, how elastic pricing is, and it's extremely common, regrettably common, that the prices are generally set based on your own wallet or where you're coming from or your mindset. And, and I think she even said, she's like, I don't know if it's just in my own head, but, you know, I feel like if I raise the price, it would do things that I don't like. Is that yeah. a fair characterization? Yeah, I think that's exactly what she said. And and I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately in terms of the blocks that we have. And I think it's dangerous when we assume that the blocks we have in our own head are in the minds of others. Right. Right. So, so I might say, oh, well, there's no way that I would pay $30,000 for X. So I'm only going to charge 20000 or 25000 And so in my head, no matter how successful that is, I'm never going to go past that 30000 Whereas you might look and go, well, I'd pay fifty for that if you got me this outcome and I know who you are and I know you can deliver this. So it's a I think we get in our own way a fair amount by assuming something that isn't necessarily true in the minds of our buyers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
I mean, so far we're talking mostly about pricing, but of course this this could extend to different kinds of products and services, productized services, uh, all sorts of things to experiment with. Um, but if we talk about pricing, one of the things that I, I've, one block that I see is this sort of like, no one will ever buy that because they're in their own head. They're not thinking of like the benefit to the buyer. So that, that's what you just said. And then I think the next thing is, you feel like if you put something on your website, that's it forever. Like it's written in stone and I posted it at this price and I can never, I can never change it or especially I can never lower it. So, you know, if you experiment, it could be that you raise a price of something beyond what your current market reach or trust or credibility or authority that you've built up. You could raise easily raise a price beyond uh, a point at which anyone would buy it because people either don't know you or they don't trust you or the claim's not credible or whatever mm -hmm. the reason is. Right. So yeah, you could certainly do that. Well, guess what? You can lower the price. <laughs> you just change it back. <laughs> no one's keeping tabs, you know. The ego-wise, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, but, and how you long know, do you wait? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't want to like change it just before the ideal client bellies up to the bar and decides to buy it. Mm -hmm. I've always done, uh, I generally raise my prices periodically, but almost always one of the times I'll raise them is sort of around the new year. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the, the, and to, to address that specific thing, I always feel bad when, when I'm about to raise it. Cause I know that there's a, probably a lot of people on my list that are aware of the thing and they might be thinking about buying it or they've been planning to buy it, or maybe they're getting ready to pull the trigger, like you said, and yeah. then like, boom, the price is doubled or something I'm like, ugh. So that I, I try to mitigate that. I do things to mitigate that shock um, that, you know, like if someone had applied for my private coaching before I raised the price, but we didn't actually have a chance to talk about it or whatever, then, you know, I might I might give them a coupon to like get the old price or something like that, you know, for a mm -hmm. short period of time. Because I don't want right. to I don't want people to feel like I mean, of, of course, it's totally within my my right to change my prices whenever I want. But still, you know, I, I hate the idea of of like creating that kind of experience for the end user. Like they're just ready. They're ready to pull the trigger. Like, and then like, like ugh. almost like, almost like bait and switch. Not, yeah, I mean, you don't intend like that. it that way, but it can feel that way to the, the recipient. Right. And in the other thing about raising prices, since that's what we're talking about, I, I don't like announcing that I'm going to raise my prices. Cause it always feels like a scare tactic to me. Yes. I just wrestled with that myself for January 1st. I'm like, do I do it? Do I not do it? It just felt, I don't know, sort of scammy. Yeah, it feels scammy. Yeah. So I just say, you know, if if I feel like there's people on the fence, I'll say something like, or like it's a small community or something. I'll say, hey, everybody, you know, if you were planning on buying a coaching extension or re-upping your private coaching, I just raised the prices. But for everybody who's already in the room, here's a coupon that you can get the old price. So it's like, I'm not threatening that I'm going to raise the price. I already yeah. did. Yeah. And I, I like that framing a lot better. Mm -hmm. But yeah. to the point of experimenting, if you uh, if it if the experiment fails, you know, let's say you go six months and nobody bought the thing, then okay, that might be a sign that you know you either you know and you've been ramping up your marketing efforts and you've been trying to create more authority and and be uh, more recognized as the go-to person for the thing is just not working. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you even get feedback from people who are on your mailing list or or in a Slack room with you, and it's just like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Maybe you ask for some feedback, and you get you get some sense of what uh, how they're interpreting or their reaction when they see the sales page or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then 
lower it back down. Or if you can't bring yourself to lower it back down, cut the offering, you know, make, make uh, so for example, uh, my private coaching, you know, it's the most expensive thing I sell. It's got, uh, it goes for four months. There's phone calls every other week. That's a fair amount of, of, of one-on-one interaction and effort on my part to maintain it. And if I raise the price to say, you know, it's not $50,000, but if I raised it to 50 and I saw that it stalled out, you know, I didn't get any sales for like six months and I was like, you know, uh, but I don't want to lower it. I want to keep it there as like, um, as like a, a high anchor. And if someone does buy it, then that'll mean that they're highly qualified to really crush it in the program. Mm-hmm. I could say, well, at the older price point, I could just offer something else at the older price point that's that's maybe doesn't have the phone calls. It's more of a mentoring thing. Um, maybe it's a quarterly check-in or something. You just, exp- right. you know, to speak of experimenting, it's like create a new product at the old price point that contributes to the same kind of outcome, but perhaps with less uh, individualized involvement. Just as a, I mean, I'm not doing that, but just as a suggestion uh, to use me as an example. Yeah, I mean, because the key is is experimenting. I mean, that's why the name's in the title of this episode. It's I think we get to this point where we think things are etched in stone because it's on your website, and these are easy things to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, maybe your price isn't on the website. And I may have told this story before, but I have a client who came to me in a, and we were just in the new business call. He hadn't hired me yet and had a $15,000 assessment. And I looked at that and I didn't know enough yet about his business or his clients, but I said, that feels really low given the amount of authority you have in your area. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what do you think the price should be? I said, it could be a hundred, but I don't know. Let's just raise it by $10,000 every time you do one. Yeah. And so, you know, he's at about, I think 55,000 and counting, but the price is not on his website anymore. So somebody's mm-hmm. not looking at it, evaluating it in that way. But what I love about that for him in his particular situation is he can decide based on the client to go lower. Mm-hmm. He might decide smaller client, smaller impact. I really want to work with them for whatever reason. That one's going to be 45. Somebody else is going to be 75. So mm-hmm. it gives them flexibility. But 15, that was leaving so much money on the table. Yeah, it's not much. funny. Yeah. 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 Actually, you just triggered a memory um, earlier in, I guess it was mid 2020. So not too long ago, uh, I was working with someone who had her, her premium offering was call it 25 grand, you know, and, and it was, but it was, you know, a productized time box type of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and we were, we were like, she's like, I feel like I should raise my price on this, but she was, but she could see that she had a kind of buyer for whom a higher price wouldn't, they wouldn't go for it. Like she was like, these type of people that I've been serving would not go for it. But at the same time, for a few people that have gone through it, they're just getting these ridiculously huge outcomes, just like insane. Mm. So on the one hand, I'm like, well, you definitely need to raise the price on this. I mean, you're leaving way too much money on the table, like your example. And she was like, yeah, but but all of these other people will just, just I won't be able to help them anymore. Like there won't, I won't be able to work with them uh. in this way. So I was like, well, all right, and how does this work? And then we realized after talking about it, she needed to add a super premium option. She needed to have, have a new thing. So not raise the price on the old thing to the, the level that the market would support, but to create a, a, a particular new service that was like $50,000 for people who were in this rare subset, mm. you know, of, of, um, mm-hmm. 
they're in a, they had like a more mature business. They were in a different situation. They were more, um, they had more potential upside, you know, so it was like, yeah. but, it's, but it's a different thing. So it's kind of the opposite of the example I gave previously where I was like, well, you could raise the price on your premium thing and then add a thing underneath it that's like a, a smaller version of it at a lower price point. She did the opposite where she added a new thing uh, above her highest price. So then she had like, yeah. you know, above the Mercedes option, she had like a helicopter option or a rocket. <laughs> a rocket ship. Right. But it was obvious in in talking, you know, look just looking at her testimonials, it was like, this is way, this is not enough money. You're not charging enough for this. So, yeah. Well, and plus what's interesting in that scenario is that might be a situation where she'd wind up developing some kind of product versus, you know, oh, yeah. productized service. Maybe there's a product, a book. I mean, I don't know what a course, I don't know what, what the model would, would substantiate, but yeah, that's another way you could experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you could say, uh, instead of looking at the high end of the spectrum, like we've been, you could experiment at the lower end and say like, maybe there is unmet demand in a more junior, uh, or a newer type of person in my target market. So, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, we're always talking about niching down and, and picking, you know, who you want to work with. Um, I take a really long view of it. So I, you know, I think the people for whom my more expensive things make the most sense have like a successful business. It's been doing well. They're probably doing seven figures, but they've been stuck and they don't seem to be getting unstuck. It just seems like the same year over and over again. Um, uh, but you know, a lot of people haven't gotten there yet. And so the, if you look at like my product data products and services that I offer as the price points go down, the content is oriented more toward folks who are more at the beginning of their journey. It's like the freelancers roadmap. It's like the book that every freelancer should read either right when they go solo or before they even leave their full-time job. Cause it gives you, but you know, but, but for someone who's been running a, a dev shop with you know, five developers for 10 years, they don't need to read that. So, yeah. so it's not like I, in my mind, I don't feel like I have different target markets so much as I have younger and older versions of the same avatar. And when I say younger and older, I mean like in their career experience or, yeah, or their business less experience. experienced versus more experienced. Yeah. They're either just starting out or they're, they're seasoned pros, but they just can't get to the next level. Mm-hmm. So I try to, I, try to so the experimentation part is you know i started it at the top end and worked my way down as i built up this business uh, because for, for a variety of reasons but you could you could or let's say that is your situation where you're used to high ticket low number of clients and you want to experiment well maybe there is demand at the lower end maybe there are people who will be your ideal uh top end buyers in two years but right now, that's not what they need. Right now, they need some help getting to that that level, and then you can help them get to the next level once they've kind of uh, matured or had the success that your middle tier offerings promise. So you could you could goof around in there and say like, oh look, people are are I don't know buying this ebook for fifty bucks, or people are buying this course for two hundred and fifty bucks, and if it works, then th- you know it's a revenue stream immediately for you. But then if it works, they'll be like, whoa how do I get more of this, you know, and then they can mm-hmm. sort of move up the product ladder. I mean, that's why the metaphor is a ladder because they can climb up it as you give them success on the lower rungs. Yeah, I think that model, <clears throat> that model works when 
I mean, if you already have the higher end and you're getting the lower end, you know, you, you do typically shift how you work. So you said this this person wanted um, to help, you know, more people. And so you can make the argument, well, I can help more people if I do something on the lower end of the spectrum. But it also means that you need more people in your audience, right, True. to mm-hmm. buy that thing at a much lower price point than the fewer people you need to buy your higher price point thing. So it's always, that's why experimentation is so much fun. It's always mm-hmm. a process of balancing between those those competing ends. Yeah. Yeah. And you're 100% right. Like at the lower end, you need more people for it to make sense. But you can certainly, uh, well, let's put it like this. If you have a way to test new ideas, cheap and easy, you know, like, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. the the Paul Jarvis episode testing with a tweet, or if you have, you know, maybe a few hundred people on a mailing list and you can add a little PS like, hey, I'm thinking about doing something like this. Click here to, to, jump on a 15 minute call so we could talk about the possibilities or, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you, or you see, it could be as simple as, um, I'm think next week I'm thinking about writing about th- this or that, which, which one is more relevant to you right mm-hmm. now yep. and just have like a, a tag, you know, they click on it and it tags them as like interest. They kind of vote on like what your next, uh, what the next most important thing for them might be. And you get, you'll see how you're positioned in their mind and you can kind of like get ideas for, potentially get ideas for new new products and services just from uh it's like what 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 would i call there's there's something there's something vulnerable about vulnerable about asking the audience a question when you're supposedly the authority you know i suppose it can feel kind of vulnerable like you should know what the next best thing to read about (laughs) is why are you asking us but i don't think that's actually true i think i think yeah yeah it's this is we actually just talked about this with Pia. It's, part of this is being wired into your audience, and the only way to know that is to ask them because otherwise we put our own assumptions on our audience, and we could be a hundred percent wrong. And even oh, yeah. if we're just ten percent wrong, we could get ten percent better at hitting the bullseye. So the key is to ask, and I think the other piece of it is to ask um, in the right way. You know, it's not like you're always asking, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, you don't want to it's, be like you that. Know, not this sort of tentative rabbit kind of thing, but really when you really want their opinion on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think. Yeah, you can. So there is, can you can you go too far with experimenting? Yeah, I think you can. Yeah. Most people I find are slow, slower than is good for them in terms of making decisions and publishing things and trying out new things. A, a very small percentage of people sometimes go the complete other way where <laughs> it's just like, um, you know, a sock in the wind. Like, yeah. Well, what, it's you know, whiplash. Tell me what you want. Yeah, it's whiplash. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I've had a couple of those. But yeah, I think most people wait too long. Most, um, yeah. But, you know, there's, an, there's another school of thought, not so much on this exactly, but when you're, when you're pivoting is that we don't give the pivot enough time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, I was thinking about this with the process of, of writing and launching the book. It's like once I was done with the, you know, the official launch, right? Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, okay, well, that was a project and it's done, but it's not done. It's not done. It's only begun, right? Because the book lasts forever, kind of like podcast episodes. And so Mm -hmm. to keep it front and center, I have to find new audiences and new ways for people to interact with the book. And so it would have been easy for me to go, 
And I've had some clients who've done this gone, you know, I just wipe my hands. I'm done. That's it. I'm going to move on. Let me go write the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you've got to stay with something to give it enough time to breathe and give it enough um, investment. And that could be time, money, or both to see where it can go. Yeah. that And that's, that is a tricky thing. It's like, how do you know how much, how long to stick with it? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that is tricky. It is tricky. And, where where would you get that answer other than hiring us? Like what you know, mastermind yeah, kind of group. Like you, yeah, you need another audience, and and when I say audience, you need some other people to give you insight, but not just any random people. Mm-hmm. You either need to yeah hire somebody like us, hire yourself, you know, a high end coach, or I think a mastermind that has yeah. other people who've experienced your kind of growth. I think. Getting peer comments is hugely helpful. Yeah, that's right where my mind went to. And, and I immediately thought of a Slack that I'm in of just like makers, like people who make stuff online. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And, and people are at all different levels. They're sort of, they sort of self-selected to want to be in this group. And it's not super, it's not like a million dollars. It's not like super expensive, but it was non-trivial. And uh, so there's going to be a certain seriousness of the people who are in there. And it's great. It, it's great yeah. for those kinds of conversations, you know, and it's 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 close enough to free to call it free. But you could start your own, too. You could just mm-hmm. start a Slack room or a Discord or whatever and go out to, you know, some people who seem to be doing what you're doing and just say, hey, I'm starting a little group so we can compare notes and talk about, you know, t- challenges and wins and, you know, things you've tried that didn't work and maybe how to do them differently. But, yeah, it really boils down to getting some kind of objective input from someone who you trust about these kinds of things. Yes. Yes. Do yeah. not just have random friends. <laughs> yeah. Not that's, good. oh man. Yeah. Not good. I, yeah. I got an email like that the other day. It was just like, oh, but my friend told me that that industry is in decline. I'm like, <sighs> I, I felt like saying like, what does your friend do? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. A little too tempting. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, you know, it's, <sighs> Well, it's your your group of apostles too. I mean, it may. Or, I'm sorry, not apostles. Your rat pack. I mean, mm-hmm. it may be that you know. I I use you, Jonathan, as a sounding board for things when I'm thinking. Eh, you know, does yep. this make sense? Because you know, you'll you'll whip me upside the head if you think it's stupid. <laughs> you know, so so you want some friends and and acquaintances like that. Um, just like you want some that cheerlead you once you know what you're going to do and you want the support. But um, it's it's getting that that feedback outside, getting outside of your head. Mm-hmm. The more we're talking about this, the more I feel like it's, it's a, it's almost like uh, something you should do regardless. You know, I, I had a, a yeah. career changing or a business changing experience. And I think it was 2015. I was randomly invited to a Slack room called productized consulting Roundtable PCR. And there's about 10 people in there that were all kind of birds of a feather, but in different areas. And it was, transformational it was so great yeah so i mean Mm. if if there's one piece of advice from this episode it'd be like find or start something like that because it's it's huge to be able to talk to people about people like you about money or uh uh, tools that you use for automation or you know with people who get it you know it's amazing yeah and your chances of running into those people in your daily life wherever you live you know, you, you, you meet somebody who owns a beauty shop or who runs a cool retail shop or the auto body guy, you know, but they're all different 
business models, they're, you know, they're, they're, their insight is not necessarily helpful yeah. when you're doing, you know, an expertise business online. Yeah, their instincts are off. Yeah. So, so what are some other things that you've experimented with in your business in the last couple of years? Well, um, I've experimented with uh, creating a membership program. Mm -hmm. I'd never done that. I've done varying kinds of uh, various kinds of teaching and courses and kind of one shot wonders. Um, but I created a, a membership course, Authority Nation. Mm -hmm. um, I I guess my big experiment, which is still a work in progress, was I used to have a flat rate. We'd call it a productized service. Uh, where I would do brand strategy for you and then give you an action plan to carry it out. And um, the last couple of those I did, I felt like something was missing. And so I totally changed how I do them now. And the the strategy is the same. The action plan is the same. But now when they buy it, they pay a lot more for it. Um, but then they get three months of coaching with me to make it you to implement it because mm. that's what I found was missing is that I can look and say, this is what makes sense. You can buy into it, but you have to change your behavior to make it a reality. And I found that people were stumbling with that a little bit. So yeah, now you can't buy that by itself anymore. And, you know, I dramatically bumped the price, which was high end relative to what I, I was offering. So that's, mm. that's the experiment. Mm. And the, cool. the podcast, actually, which was not a product, that was a big experiment. That's more than a couple of years that we've been right. doing that for, what, four now? Yeah. Four yeah. plus. But yeah, that was an experiment. It was like, am I going to like this? Is anybody going to listen? Is mm. anybody going to care? Are we going to have anything to talk about? Um, right. You know, I had all those. And, and I'm, am I going to sound terrible in listening to the first, like, 20 episodes? Yes. No, <laughs> I, sound, I, sound, I, got be I got better. I got better, um, as does everybody who does this. So, yeah, it, there's always something to experiment with. And, and I'm playing with something now that I mentioned an episode or two ago, uh, aimed towards women. And I'm doing... I'm practicing exactly what I preach, which is I'm listening. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm talking to, I have a inter informational interviews set up with about 15 women so far where mm. I'm just getting input. I yep. want to hear and make sure that I'm not assuming that what I think is needed is actually what's needed right. or what's wanted. Right. Yeah. Like you've got a gut instinct, but you want to validate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to stay open because my gut instinct could be totally wrong. Yep. Yeah. So speaking for myself, my I think my main uh, experiments are usually around pricing, but not always. Like like the pricing seminar, I've run it eight times, and the next one's going to be coming up soon in the spring. And I think this will be the first time I didn't change the price from the last session. Mm. I've I've yeah. raised it up. I've raised it down. I've raised it down. Good one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've raised my prices down. Um, they and, and at each different point, it has a different effect on the type and number of people who join, which sounds obvious when you say it, but you might not think that. So mm -hmm. it's like, so I'm, I've got it dialed in at this point to somewhere in the middle of the, of the overall range because it has, to me, the best benefit for the attendees to get people who are serious. It's high enough for people who are serious about their business but it's low enough that that a enough people will join it so that it reaches critical mass and they get the the feeling of a cohort and they and it brings them back 
to it, it keeps them running the race because it's a marathon. It's 12, 12 weeks long. So they're like, you know, anyway, so I've experimented the price quite a bit and I've found mm-hmm. one that produces the, you know, for now that produces the, the outcome that I want. But yeah. what are some other experiments? I've, I've, I, I do sort of that, like I'll float an idea to the mailing list or on Twitter and see if anybody, if it gets any interaction at all. So I don't even remember those because most of them just go nowhere. Like I'll get Oh, all I ex- remember some. Oh Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm thinking, um, I don't know if it started with the tweet, but your systems challenge. Oh, that that's started after we... That's fairly new. Yeah. Uh, well, this is the fourth one, or third one, third, <laughs> third year. And that started We've been with together the, a long time now, uh, yeah, Jonathan. Time, time flies. Um, that started because of our interview with Todd Trusseter. Oh, yes. The, the I, got, I was so excited about systems after that. I immediately did this free uh, 10-day system challenge, which we're, as we record this, currently in the second day of. So very excited mm-hmm. about that. Um, another thing was the Sunday comic. Like, I don't oh, know yeah. what made me, I don't know what made me think of that. And I was, it was like a Sunday. I had to write my daily email. And somehow I was like, you know, it would be funny, you know, a dialogue, a dialogue, because I'd be able to write mm-hmm. less. I was like, how can I write less? Well, I'll have a dialogue and then it'd be a lot less. Yeah. And how do I do that? And I searched around. And I was like, ah, oh, here's like a little comic strip generator thing. So I used that. And boom, I'm up to, I think this Sunday was number 78. So 78 weeks in a row. Wow. Um, year and, and a half. Yeah. And people, it, and it's so funny. It's I'm not going to say people love it, but but it has a definite, when I hit a home run with that, it's a different <laughs> kind of home run than yeah. with a normal daily email where, you know, it, it's meant to be funny. It's meant to be, to be like a sort of like... It's supposed to be like a gut punch that's funny, you know, so like the dog is always getting or the turtle are always getting like, like schooled kind of by the robot or the snail. And, mm-hmm. and people just have a much more visceral reaction to it. They either think it's hilarious or they just or, or it's nothing. No response. I, one of the things I find funny about it is that the it's the same. Um, what do you call it in comics? Cell? Like it's the same picture. With the, no matter yeah. what they say, it it's the change, same right? picture. And it just <laughs> makes me, that makes me laugh. I, I you know, I, that probably says something about my sense of humor, but I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> so, so, well, the experiments are going to continue with that, actually. I've been practicing and practicing drawing it by hand instead of using the, um, the, uh, just those static, I mean, it'd still be static images, but like, those images from that strip generator strike, which ended up closing down. So I, I have to do it manually now anyway. So, cause this, the site that I used to create them original originally doesn't exist anymore. Um, so I, in spite of what you just said, you might, unfortunately <laughs> you, you, you might see some variation from, from panel to panel. Occasionally well, I, I might be the, the only, only one that thinks that's funny, but no, I do think but, it's you funny. Know, I was thinking you had a, an experiment that, I, I thought was really interesting given what I know about you when you did an in-person. Was it was that oh, an yeah. early version of the pricing seminar or was that something nope. else? No, that was different. That was that also inspired by an interview that we did with Joe Pine where oh, we were talking about right. doing ex- having experiences. And uh, Erica, who's very creative and crafty, we just had a ball. We just had so much fun designing that experience. I was like, I want to do an in-person experience and... And 
do all the things that you would, uh, the things that I wouldn't normally think to do. Cause I'm like, uh, you know, like I'm like mm-hmm. Mr. Spock. It's like, show up, here's the data. Okay. Bye. You know, like, and so <laughs> right. what, what would be the point of going in person to do that? Especially with software engineers that are used to working remotely 24 seven. So I was like, I wanted to do all these things that made it more visceral and, and tactile and really drilled mm-hmm. home the messages with like, you know, f- physical manifestations of some of these ideas. And uh, and it didn't really work that great, honestly. <laughs> um, it, it it was fun to plan for, but then in the execution, I could have executed a little bit better. And uh, but it was just like it wasn't a great fit for my audience. Like these sort of software people were kind of like, "Why do you have a f- piece of firewood? You know, like what is that doing here?" And like the whole theme was like this camping theme. <laughs> And I had, you know, goodie bags for them and everything. And it, it was cool. And I'm glad I did it. But I, after the pandemic, I did, I ran it once or twice more virtually and, and people, you know, they liked it just as much. It just didn't add, Yeah, it didn't yeah. add anything other than a lot of cost and, and organization and people had to fly around and like, um, right. but yeah, so that is definitely, that was definitely an experiment. Well, oh, my YouTube channel was an experiment too. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I yeah. got the results, and I'm like, that's interesting. I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, to me, that's the beauty of experiments is there's some that you go, Eureka, and it changes. It could change how you do everything, or it could morph you into doing just one thing, but it also doesn't mean you have to keep it if it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay, learn right. that lesson, move on. Right. Yeah, I, I live stream on YouTube once in a while now, Um if there's a, if it's the right medium for the situation or the question I want to answer, or I need to show something like if I'm doing a website teardown, the YouTube channel will be a good place to do it. Mm-hmm. But in general, I just, um, yeah, it was an experiment. And I, and I, I was seeing other people succeed with it, particularly Chris Doe just does such a great job and, mm-hmm. and others. And I'm like, I'm a fan of several YouTube channels like, uh, Chris Lipe, the singing guy. And you know, I'm, you know, I get it. I get why it would be cool to have something like that. But I tried it out and I was like, okay, now I've got the data. I know how I feel about it. I know the kind of reaction. Or I've got a, a sample size, you know, a decent sample size of like w- what kind of people it would attract, where they're at in their journey. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I need to do this like, you know, three times a week anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. and sure enough, like my subscribers have almost tripled and I haven't posted hardly any videos in the past two years. <laughs> it just sort of sits there and keeps attracting subscribers. Yeah. Content lives forever. Yeah. So can I? I can think of I can think of a at least one other example of experimentation. Have you got any others? I'm, I'm thinking. Like, what about with people you work with? Like, what are some know, things that you have them experiment with? That's where I was going. Um, well, sometimes the experiment is um, the client believes that there's a reason to do a pivot, mm-hmm. and and let's say that I agree with them that the 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 signs are there. And so the experiment can be instead of doing a pivot all in one motion, which is what a lot of us are inclined to do, there may be, let's experiment with something in between. So let's test the hypothesis, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, You think that if you pivot 45 or 90 degrees this way that you're going to pull these kinds of people all right so let's who do you know that's in that scenario who have you served what kind of results have you gotten and then you can put together a test case of some sort and the test case could be 
Um, I'm going to interview some people. The test case could be I'm going to put a sales page on my website and send the people in my email there, on my email list. Uh, it, there's all kinds of ways that you can experiment with that. But mm-hmm. that's one of the things. It's a, Sometimes it's a way to de-risk a big move, especially if someone is already in the limelight, yep. right? You're, you're already there. You've got a certain business model and you think you want to pivot, but you want a little bit of insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually triggered a, a thought for me too. Like uh, something that people, especially when they first start working with me, one of the things we really need to do to have any kind of hope of liftoff is coming up with a positioning statement that the person is comfortable with and resonates with the people it needs to resonate with. And and so it's sort of a two-step process. It's like, what should it be? Like, like and a lot of times we'll get to a point where we know like we have a descriptive version of what it is, but we know the words are all wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, yep, exactly. Like it's clear to myself and the student that yes, this is the target market, this is the expensive problem. But what do they call themselves, and how do they describe the expensive problem? Mm-hmm. And yep. and so exper- the experiments around that can be as as simple as introducing yourself at a, an event, virtual or otherwise. You know, like, oh, what do you do? I help X with Y and mm-hmm. see if their eyebrows go up or they kind of like cock their head like a puppy. And <laughs> another another place to experiment with it is uh, on social media. So if you're on a platform, you know, if, if you're positive that your target market is on LinkedIn, you could change your headline, which is that little kind of like like subtitle underneath your name that, you know, it says I help X with Y. I help uh, VP of sales launch their first product or whatever. Launch, mm-hmm. launch their first software product and uh, and just see like like does that does anything happen sometimes something happens like sometimes you change it and immediately people are like oh I just saw you changed your you know your uh, it's called your headline I think I just saw you change yeah. your headline to you know you help X with Y I know someone that needs help with I know I know someone that I should introduce yeah. you to and if it's just crickets and nothing and you maybe you connect with a bunch of people who are in the target market um, to, you know, have a conversation with them and just nobody is responding, then, you know, it's not something's not it's not done yet. You know, so you need to keep experimenting with it, you know, either refining it or finding, you know, in the the the, the actualness of it, not the words, but like maybe the focus needs yes. to be tighter uh, maybe the expensive problem needs to be crispier. I usually say, crispier. Um, yeah. Or, or it it could just be that it's a language thing because you're saying. I just this happened just the other day. Uh, the student and I were talking about product. I help this kind of person build their first product, but the target market thinks of product as like a lamp, and what we we're talking about is a SaaS, a software product. Oh, okay. So, so the word product would just totally be misinterpreted. So people in the target market would be like, well, why would I create a product like something you sell at Target? No. Why would I do that? Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. So then it's a question. It's a hunt for the words that they would use yes. to describe themselves and the the transformation that they're looking for. You know, That's I, very I, experimental. I played with that a lot with the book because the, the first thing I played with was the title. And I, I had like three different titles. I narrowed it to two. And I did a tweet chat at one point. And I, I said, uh, I had them introduce me as author of. And I used a title that is not the title of the book. It wasn't the authority <laughs> code. And But I just wanted to see, like, was there any reaction? Did people say anything? What was that like? Um, I even, you know, paid to run a test. 
um, with people and you can, you know, choose some of the demographics of the people and to see like, was there one title versus another that was more attractive to my ideal audience? Um, and then when I had um, the, the cover art, I tested that. And there was one that I really didn't like as much. So I put that in, in as well, because I thought, you know, just because I don't like it, I'm just curious. It was different enough from the other ones that I thought if somebody really liked it, I would get at least a sense. Um, almost nobody voted for that one. Um, but getting <laughs> that, that, yeah. <laughs> and I did that, I did that test both with my own audience. And then I also, uh, hired, um, uh, I always want to say this and it sounds like a swear word. It's pick F U is the name of the company, but you can, you can literally hire these things to be tested. And it, it really was interesting to do that because you get out of your own head. And especially when people give little one or two sentence comments about why they like one title or one cover more than the other, mm. it was incredibly insightful yeah. i would do that again in a heartbeat no i don't i don't think we talked about that not, that's interesting yeah it was it was really interesting and especially in my case because i was shocked because literally it was a 50 50 vote mm. and i ran that's why i ran the test twice with pick fu um <laughs> is that i didn't believe it i'm like all right there must be something wrong it was 50 50 so my conclusion was okay i can go either way there wasn't enough in the comments to tell me that like my kind of client was in more in one camp than the other mm-hmm. so yeah so i, I picked the one i wanted since it, they it, it, but if it had been like 75 25 i, I would have gone with a 75 yeah yeah, it reminds me of it reminds me of the four hour work week story where Tim Ferriss would like run ads for different book titles and just see which one got clicked on the most, and then that ended up being the title <laughs> of the four hour work week. Yep. So it cool. is a great title, you have to admit. Yeah. So so just to wrap up, I think one of the coolest things about running your own business and thinking of it like a business is that you can do this stuff. It's so fun. Yeah. I, I just think it's super fun. It's like one of my favorite things is being able to like dream up some crazy idea and then just do it. There's not like a, mm-hmm. co- you know, committee or a boss or somebody to make you justify it or, or whatever. And you can just move real quick, test things cheaply and, and and learn from it. It's, I don't know, it's like one of my favorite things. Once Once you shift away from the mindset of like, I am a person who does these activities for clients and you start thinking, you know, like a freelancer and you think of yourself as a business owner and you get to play with the business model. It's like, it's like playing with toys. (laughs) It's really fun. Well, and to not have, to your point is to not have a committee or God forbid a boss. Mm. I mean, just thinking about the committees that I've tried to get something new through just makes me tired just thinking about it. It's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is your stuff. And you, right. you get the chance to, to try it and experiment and put giant, scary price tags on things and have people say yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, hopefully that will inspire folks to uh, pick something. Just pick something that's currently a, a particular way about your business and experiment with something new. Maybe it's a new tagline for a product. Maybe it's a new positioning statement for your your whole business. Maybe it's a price on something. Maybe it's uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, like look at something and say like, you know, I, I wish I had more information about this. And instead of endlessly researching it on Google, just run an experiment. Yeah. 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 Take action. There you go. 
All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.